some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin, presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. My name is Jason Martin. You can find me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045. 737-1045. May not get to calls tonight. Yesterday I was in for Clay Travis along with Jeff Schwartz. We had Dr. David Chow on, pro football doc, and a let you hear that conversation as he talked about Mahomes and Drew Brees and I also asked him about Zion Williamson and what the future is going to look like for Zion considering just the way his body is built and the way his game his explosiveness and things of that nature those things might not be simpatico also Cam Newton and some things so that was a really kind of wide-ranging conversation I think you'll enjoy it so we're going to play that also Murphy Fair coming up next segment it's going to be raining all over the place tonight, so we'll see whether or not he's going to make it out to a game. But certainly, he will have thoughts on that. Plus, Tom Duggan will join us from DTC Sports at the end of this segment. Tennessee, South Carolina tomorrow in Knoxville. Joey Kent and I, by the way, will have Deron Jenkins on the program tomorrow, the Tennessee Tailgate Show at 1230 it's when that show begins, lead you into Vol Network coverage of the ball game, which will be right here on 104.5 The Zone as well. Also, we'll have Josh Ward on the show from down in Knoxville, our sister station, the Sports Animal. Always great content from him. Tennessee's 2-5, and five, South Carolina is 3-4. and four. 38th meeting between these two teams. Series dates back over 100 years to 1903. Tennessee's 25-10-2 overall, 16-3 in Knoxville. But what's most interesting about this is how close these games have been in the last seven years. In 2012, South Carolina won 38-35 in Columbia. In Knoxville the year after, in 2013, a 23-21 win for Tennessee. In 2014, Tennessee wins in overtime on the road 45-42, if you remember that one. That was a classic. 2015-27-24, Tennessee won it in Knoxville. So they won three in a row, and now South Carolina's won the last three. 24-21, 15-9, which was agonizing in Knoxville in 17, and 27-24 last year. So history tells us, recent history tells us, this is probably going to be a close game. It's also two teams that have begun playing much better football over the last two or three weeks than they were the first two or three weeks of the season. Now you saw a quarterback go down. And Ryan Holinsky's had to come in for South Carolina, but they started out not great. They let North Carolina come back 15 unanswered in the fourth quarter to beat them 24-20 in the opener. They crushed Charleston Southern 72-10. to 
They got dominated by Alabama. They got beat by 20 by a Missouri team that, look, Missouri's still good, but Missouri, of course, lost to Vanderbilt the last time we saw them. They beat Kentucky, and then here it gets better. They beat Kentucky 24-7 to at night, and that's at home. Then they go to Sanford Stadium in Athens and beat Georgia in double overtime. We all remember that game. And then Florida had to pack like 14 lunches to beat them last week. Had to come back. Gators outscored them by two touchdowns, 21-7 to in the fourth quarter to win in the rain, 38-27. That's how South Carolina gets to three and four. I have said on the Quick Six, the podcast where I talk about football every Monday when I'm able to get all my thoughts out on the weekend instead of having to wait for Wednesday when I can just kind of tell you a couple of things. And that's something to subscribe to if you haven't. Just look for the Quick Six uh, podcast and you can make sure that you have that. It's usually available by Monday a little bit after lunchtime, sometimes a little bit earlier. And it's literally just me rattling off the mouth with no break for about 35 to 40 minutes about everything that I saw, plus giving you what I think or the top 10 in college football and the hottest teams in the NFL. Tennessee, as we talked about how South Carolina's played better football, well, Tennessee has been playing better as well. They played a good half, or almost half, against Georgia. It got a little away from them in the second half, but it is Georgia. Even though South Carolina beat them, it is Georgia. They beat Mississippi State and held the SEC rushing leader at the time to 13 yards on 11 carries, which was super impressive. And then look, they gave Alabama all Alabama wanted last week. They showed up, and I thought, and I actually asked Joey Kent, my broadcast partner on the Tennessee Tailgate Show, I said, is there something to be said for walking into this game with zero expectations, being able to pin your ears back and play without any fear, to play with reckless abandon? Because if you get beat by 50, all you're doing is what's expected. Nobody's going to say, oh, Tennessee was just terrible today. No, it's all going to be about Alabama, and it's just going to be about, well, this is what we expected Alabama, the number one team in the country, to do. So why not just go out there and play a little bit freer or looser because you have no expectations on you at all? What are we seeing in the World Series right now? The Nationals have won eight games in a row, but there were no expectations for the Washington Nationals coming in against the Astros. They were heavily favored. Almost everybody said Houston in five. I mean, I thought the Astros would win before the season started. They're loaded. Look at the pitching. And I know the, there's great pitching in Washington, too. But the Astros are the ones with pressure. It's always tougher for the favorites the longer the game goes on, right? But when you look at Tennessee, Tennessee showed up and played well. They dealt with horrendous officiating that led to a horrendous response, non-response from Greg Sankey, who I generally really like, but I don't know what he was supposed to say. Yeah, the officiating sucks and we're going to fire everybody, but it needed to have more teeth than this statement did, and it flat out didn't, so it didn't make anybody happy. You had quarterback play that certainly was spotty, but the secondary did pretty well against those wide receivers for Alabama. Tua wasn't able to do all that he wanted to, and then, of course, he got knocked out of the game. And after that point, Mac Jones came in and only completed one pass to a wide receiver for the entire rest of the game. Now, the story leaving that game, which was a fairly impressive performance by Tennessee, even in the losing effort, is a very unimpressive, embarrassing moment for Jarrett Garantano, who went full-on Jarrett Palin, went rogue, went for a quarterback sneak in the most inane possible way. You see guys pulling in the opposite direction you got trey smith pulling one side all of these things and when you see it you can tell okay well this wasn't the call he's leaving the field and jeremy pruitt is 
giving him a couple of F-bombs, asking him what the bleep are you doing and who the bleep taught you how to sneak. And I would like to know that too because I don't know why he's upright. Sneak technique is real simple. You get low and you try to just snake your way forward, just fall forward. What Garantano did had almost no chance of success. And I think a lot of people deem it to be a fairly selfish play at this point in time also. But there were some positives you could took you could take from the game, even though it didn't go your way against the number one team in the country. I have said for at least three weeks now, but even before the season, I knew this was going to be an important game. This game's huge. I know it's two and five versus three and four. But two and five with the schedule that Tennessee has left, if they get this game, I think that that momentum from beating a pretty good South Carolina team at home in front of what should be a very good atmosphere tomorrow at Neyland Stadium, rain or shine, that's the kind of momentum that can carry you through beatable teams. And the rest of this schedule is beatable teams. UAB, certainly a beatable team. Kentucky, beatable team. You beat them last year. Vanderbilt, we know they're beatable. We saw UNLV beat them. Now, they can win games. They beat Missouri because anybody can win at times in college football. But Vanderbilt's not very good. I don't think that's any kind of banner statement by me. And speaking of Missouri, they're pretty good, but certainly they're not unbeatable either. If Vanderbilt can beat them, then Tennessee can beat them. There's no reason to think that you can't actually make a bowl, even with how this season started for Tennessee, if you beat South Carolina. Because there is something to be said for momentum and getting hot at the right time. They're playing better football. This could be two steps back if they show up and play poorly. It could be stu- it could be a- another step forward in the right direction for this program if they show up in the opposite direction. Now, the quarterback spot's unfortunate. Maurer was at Vanderbilt on Wednesday having concussion testing done. That scares you for a young player. So he's not going to be out there, we would assume. Shrout, Garantano, both expected to get some opportunities in the game. If Shrout's in there, there's a fear of delay of game and procedure and all that kind of stuff that you see from someone young. Garantano, Garantano might get booed out of the place because of what happened last week. And that's not going to be a good look, and it's not going to be good for Garantano. And I would, I mean, obviously Garantano is, I thought maybe that was the last we would ever see of him. But the problem is there's just not enough bodies to keep him on the bench permanently for Jeremy Pruitt, even if that's what he wanted to do. I saw some people joking, or maybe not even joking, saying, let's go with Jawan Jennings in the Wildcat instead. I mean, you've got to have somebody that can throw the football. And even though you don't trust Garantano to do it, and maybe Shrout can do it, it's a tall order. And Helensky has missed some guys, and he's made some plays for South Carolina. This is a tough, very close game, most expectedly, because that's what it's been every year for the past more than half a decade. And with a lot on the line for both of these teams. South Carolina would love to win this one. Tennessee desperately needs this one. And I believe that they will get this victory tomorrow in Knoxville. I'm not going to predict they're just going to run the table from here on out. But I think this is the start of taking advantage of a weaker schedule to end your season. And being at least in contention for a bowl game as we get to that Vanderbilt matchup uh, to finish the regular season. So that's your breakdown, at least for now. There will be more to come, of course, as the game is played later on this weekend. A game that, well, is going to be played, and the elements are getting... Look, two weeks ago, Tom, we bring in Tom Duggan of DTC Sports. And two weeks ago, Tom, 
we knew that it was going to be kind of bad weather. I know Murphy Fair even stayed home, didn't go to a football game on a Friday night, so you knew that it wasn't good. Well, there's rain all through the area yet again, but that's not stopping you guys. You're in Carthage, and you're at Owl Stadium again. I can't ask you anything different about Owl Stadium or ask you to tell me how great it is there because we've already kind of gone through these notes over the past couple of weeks. You're right, Jason, and uh... – uh, Hopefully, we've said we've kind of made a nest with Al Stadium because we've had Smith County the last four weeks in a row. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a great venue to call a football game. We always enjoy being there. Uh, yeah, the weather, it's going to be what it is tonight. It ought to make our game very interesting. Uh, the Owls, they've already clinched their playoff berth. Uh, they need to win in week 11 against Grundy County to clinch home field. They'll be a big favorite in that game. So tonight they play Stone Memorial. It's a. Uh, Team up in Crossville, Tennessee, out of Region 3, 4A. Stone last year, in fact, three of those last four seasons, they've won Region 3, 4A, but uh, they lost a lot of seniors last year. 16 senior starters mm. removed from that team a year ago. So th- this is a team that's kind of young this year. They've battled some injuries. They've battled some adversity. But they may get hot at just the right time. They had a big win last week over Cumberland County. They've got two non-region games to close out their schedule. And, you know, they don't know where they're going to be in the playoff race. So, Coach Samber, he says, we're going to focus on getting better and getting prepared, knowing that when we go into the postseason, everybody's zero and zero. So, well, it's a non-region game, Jason. It, it's still a big game for these two teams. They want that momentum really going into the postseason. Smith County's been playing exceptionally well. Had a big win last week over Cannon County. And, uh, you know, they're just trying to keep the ball rolling. Now try to do so tonight. And uh, it will be on the air at 645. Rain, turn, or whatever the elements may be, will be on the air at 645. And uh, kickoff at 7 o'clock. And, of course, you can watch our game. DTC3.TV. That's DTC, the number 3.TV. And, of course, uh, Coach Vance, J.R. Smith, and myself will be there with a call. And uh, Jason, just going to have to layer up with uh, raincoats and umbrellas and uh, go out there and call what should be an interesting football game tonight. Yeah, well, that's what you guys have to do. And because of DTC3.TV, which we highly recommend, obviously, uh, you don't have to get out in the elements tonight. You can just go ahead and enjoy the broadcast. That's the benefit of technology is we don't have to get drenched anymore at these games. We can let you do it. Absolutely, yeah. That, that's the good thing about it for the folks at home. You can let us go out and bear the elements. But uh, I'll tell you what, I know, the, I know the folks over in Carthage and Smith County, they'll still be there. They, they come out and pack the house when Smith County plays at home, but I know they'll be there tonight. But for the folks that don't want to brave the elements, uh, hey, we're happy to do it so we can provide a good football game for the folks at home so they can sit, watch, and enjoy. Enjoy the broadcast. We'll talk to you next week, Tom. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Be right back. Murphy Fair joins us. We'll see if he's going to a game tonight. That's next. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. So. Welcome back. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone on this rainy Friday across Tennessee. We talked to Tom Duggan in the last segment. He knows he's going to be wet tonight. This guy was out last night because there were a lot of games that were moved on the schedule. And by the way, we're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. And we bring in Murphy Fair. He's presented by Ascend Federal Credit Union here on 104.5 Zone, a proud sponsor of the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association. To learn more about Ascend, visit ascend.org. Well, the schedule, Murphy, today was supposed to be, or tonight was supposed to be, just absolutely loaded, and it still is, but a lot of games got moved yesterday because 
apparently animals are moving two by two outside right now into a large wooden <laughs> ship. And because of the weather, they wanted to get some of these done. And they played some big ones. Gallatin Beach last night. The Bucks get it done at home, 14 to 10. And then you saw a really good one between Upperman and Watertown. And Upperman's just been crushing people all season long. But Watertown, no slouch in their own respect, gave them all they wanted. And that ended up being a one-point game last night. Yeah, it was senior night and back during a great environment for a high school football game. And, and for those who are maybe not necessarily familiar with those two programs, Jason, Upperman's 3A, Watertown's 2A. Uh, so even though they lost by a single point, uh, they've got to walk away from that with a with a pretty good feeling about themselves, even though they mark in the loss column. Uh, I, I think that's probably a plus for Watertown. They played a very, very good 3A football team right down to the wire, uh, and uh, it's also going to give them a little vengeance or moral victory, if you will, maybe that wake-up call as they get ready for the playoffs because I think Watertown's a team that's going to go very, very deep in the uh, uh, 2A playoffs. And Upperman gave Alcoa its toughest test of the year last year in the semifinals. So two really good football teams, and uh, like we've noticed, several times this year a lot of teams playing each other for the very first time in school history i don't think these teams have ever met uh consequently uh we're seeing a lot of really good teams between different classifications this year yeah just uh, quickly going over some of the ones that people in this area would really care about from last night page over lincoln county big station camp crushed by mount juliet wilson central a one point win over lebanon bga blank spring hill we mentioned Upperman over Watertown, Smyrna over Laverne, Clarksville over Northwest, all of those taking place. Powell beat Oak Ridge. That's another top 25 game where number 16 in the state beat Oak Ridge by six. Gallatin Beach, look, they're both really good teams. We're going to see them again. Beach wins at 14 to 10. Uh, the rematch ought to be really good. We would expect there's going to be a rematch there. But there's still some, I mean, there's some real heavyweight fights uh, coming up here tonight. Even with the inclement inclement weather, I think maybe the right place to start is Innsworth at Brentwood Academy, six and two versus five and three. This is one of those games where BA really needs to make sure they get it done, and there's a lot of talent on both sides of the gridiron tonight. Yeah, and another thing that comes into play is the, is not just the rain that falls from the sky. But the condition a lot of these fields are going to be oh, left yeah. in. If it rains like this all day, all afternoon, and into the evening, uh, obviously it's going to be wet and soppy. But I'm sure that's why a lot of coaches elected to play last night to preserve their fields. And I would encourage people to check the schedules on TWSAA as well. There may be some games put off until tomorrow just because it's so nasty out there tonight. Yeah, the only problem is it's still supposed to rain all day tomorrow too. Um, it's supposed oh, to be yeah, two sure. inches of rain today <laughs> and then another inch or so tomorrow. I mean, this is – it's a downpour. It was a smart decision by the TWSAA to get some of these games played last night because, like I said, there's a lot of, of really interesting ones. A 6A preview maybe tonight, Murph, between Cane Ridge and Ravenwood. Uh, Ravenwood hosting them. They, they only had the one loss this year, Cane Ridge with two. This could be another one of those really good ones, and maybe the weather changes it from what you would expect, which is a lot of offense on both sides. Not that the defenses are slouches, but the offenses are kind of the stars on both teams. Yeah, without a doubt, I think you're right on that one, Jason. And Creekwood is, uh, or excuse me, Cane Ridge has uh, has had a lot of injury issues this year. 
And a lot of those kids are starting to come back now, maybe not 100% because they've been on the sideline on crutches or whatever the case may be. But I think that's a little bit of an equalizer along with the weather. And uh, look for that one to be pretty close. I talked to Coach Woods earlier today, and he said this is probably the first of two meetings between us. So we'll just have to see how it goes. Yep, NBA at Baylor. 8-1 and Baylor, 5-3 and NBA. Another really good one there. And then yet another game really stands out. 7-1 and Brentwood hosting Knox Cath. Those are two games that should be outstanding football games tonight. Yeah, I'd say there'll be a lot of people buying rank gear if they haven't already had it because both of those teams, especially the first one uh, involving Baylor, they're a much better football team than a lot of people expected them to be with Elijah Howard in the background, the young man who's was a Mr. Football finalist two years ago, three years ago, as an eighth grader. Uh, this guy can fly if he gets into the open field, but we'll see how much he can fly with a wet runway tonight. Earlier you mentioned Creekwood. Creekwood 7-1 and one tonight. They are on the road at Portland. Portland kind of needs this to make sure they're into the playoffs, to guarantee themselves a playoff spot if they're 4-5. and five. Creekwood is right there at the top of the 5-4A standard, uh, standings. They're right there with Springfield, right there with Montgomery Central. So this is one that Portland needs a lot worse than Creekwood, but Creekwood has no problem going 8-1 and one and just making it tougher on Portland. No, it's been an incredible year for Creekwood. They've done an excellent job. A, a, a program in Dixon County that normally doesn't get a whole lot of ink and a whole lot of time on radio, uh, but Houston Steel has done an incredible job with that program in a very short period of time. And, and Portland has rebounded from some struggles five, ten years ago, and that region is a killer region with the, the, the two teams we mentioned, mentioned and also Springfield and Greenbrier had a big upset a couple of weeks ago, so there's still a lot of football to be played, although there's only two weekends left to do it. Yep, and another one, this is probably the last one that, that really jumps out at you, Independence hosting undefeated Pearl Cone. As we go week to week, we're seeing the undefeateds drop, but there's still a few out there, Pearl Cone being one of them. Now, this is one of those games where Pearl Cone's actually going to have to defend the pass, which doesn't often happen in high school. This is one of the better passing attacks they're going to have seen uh, all year. And Independence, obviously, anytime they're playing at home in particular, a real tough out, should be a decent environment. I I'll be curious to see what the attendance is in all these games tonight if the rain continues to fall at this clip. But this is a whale of a matchup. I think so. There's a lot of people in Williamson County as good a quarterback, uh, a bunch of quarterbacks as there are in Williamson County. The cash kid is indeed yeah. very, very special. Scott Blake's got a good one there. It'll be interesting to see how much the weather affects the passing game. But Pearl Cone likes to throw the football too. Uh, and this is just a great measuring stick for both teams, one public, one private, one small, one large. Uh, but I think that game has a chance to be a really good one. All right, Murph, uh, stay dry tonight, and we'll see what happens in these games, and we'll catch up next week. We'll catch you on the, on the flip-flop, okay? Indeed, see, indeed, always. That's Murphy Fair brought to you by Sin Federal Credit Union. When we come back, Dr. David Chow at Pro Football Doc joins us. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Murphy Fair on 104.5 The Zone, presented by Ascend Federal Credit Union, a proud sponsor of the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association. To learn more about Ascend, visit ascend.org. So.
Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Jason Martin with you on Twitter at JMartZone. Yesterday I was in for Clay Travis along with Jeff Schwartz on Outkick the Coverage, which you hear the first hour of live before the wake-up zone every single morning from 5 to 6 a.m. And we had Pro Football Doc on Twitter, Dr. David Chow, on the program. We always talk about injuries with him when we have him on the program, and there have been a lot of big ones, and there's also Zion Williamson out there. So it's always such a good conversation with such good information. I wanted to go ahead and share that with you here, and I wanted to lead off with maybe the biggest injury right now happening in the NFL and just the fact that for some reason Patrick Mahomes is out here with a football in his hand a couple of days ago at practice. And so I let off asking Dr. David Chow about Pat Mahomes. I see Patrick Mahomes yesterday throwing. I see him throwing in sweats, but I see him throwing a football again, which is not something I was expecting to happen this soon. Evaluate for us what you're seeing from Patrick Mahomes and what this portends for the next few weeks. Well, you know, I've said it before. Patrick Mahomes is a beast. I mean, week one, when he had a left high ankle sprain and finished the game limping and then went 4-0 and the first four weeks and played through it all. Uh, he showed me something more than what he even showed last year, and he's doing it again. So hats off to him. But, you know, he's superhuman, but he still is human. Look, he's wearing sweats because he's hiding a big brace from the swelling that's on his leg. He doesn't have full flexibility. He's stiff. Um, uh, you know, he doesn't look himself. Can he throw a ball? Sure, he could throw a ball on one leg. But he's not ready for NFL football. And, uh, you know, he's going to get there. The, it's the best-case scenario, but it's the best-case scenario for a guy who just dislocated his kneecap. And so the worry here is he's going to get back to playing, not this week. Maybe he'll beat my three, four-week timeline that we started with, maybe, but there's still a risk of re-dislocation here, and that's what you have to be very careful of. Another thing, and we, I think we all might have sort of overlooked this in the preseason, and then you jump to, well, this guy can't play anymore, and I think that that's unfair, and we're talking about Cam Newton here. Now, Kyle Allen has stepped in and played well for the Panthers. McCaffrey and that defensive have been a large part of that as well, but when you look at Cam Newton and the accumulation of what has happened to him over the past few years and certainly what he's dealing with right now, when slash if can this guy be 100% and at least have an opportunity to, to show whether or not he can still play when he's fully healthy? Well, I think he could now if, you know, his replacement, Kyle Allen, wasn't 4-0. I mean, if he was 0-4, I think things would be different. When he went out with the latest aggravation of list, Frank, it was my thought it would be about four to six weeks. And the reason why that long is because both he and the team were saying we're waiting for it to be 100%. Now, we all know that there's different definitions of 100%. When your team is 4-0 with the, with the backup, <clears throat> excuse me, the definition of 100% is really 100%. However, if you were 0-4, Boy, 95 rounds up to 100, let's ride. And, and I think he's ready to play and could play, but it makes it easy for the team to stick to, let's be 100% and go from here. Doc, there's a, a weird situation happening with the Jets, and I'm not sure many people are paying attention to this. They're, they're uh, left starting left guard. Uh, Kaleche uh, Osemele has been out now for a couple of weeks. Um, he wants surgery on his shoulder. He's going to get it, I believe, today. Uh, the Jets say, no, you don't need surgery. 
Um, we're not going to grant you permission to do it. I think he's doing it anyways. Uh, feels like there could be a battle brewing here between the NFLPA and, and obviously the Jets. Uh, what's your take on what's happening in New York? Well, certainly a strange situation. I wrote an article uh, a few days back. Basically, uh, like a lot of things, when there's a lot of disagreement, the truth is somewhere in the middle. On the Jets' side, certainly uh, it has come out that the Jets' team physicians have not prohibited him from having surgery. Uh, there was some information, and even uh, the player admitted that. So it's not mismanagement from the team medical staff. But it does seem like for some reason – the Jets brass don't like the player and are going out of their way to do something. So something must have happened. I don't know what it is. But the article essentially says you can't fine a player for not playing because of a medical issue. And if it's a, a label tear, and it seems like everyone agrees that there is a label tear, it doesn't matter if that happened with Oakland or that happened in New York. You passed them on a physical yeah. – it's the old mate theory. You've bought the injury. So the fact that that comes up makes no difference. And if you have to take Toradol to play, that qualifies as an injury that you can sit with. You, no one can force you to take medication. And assuming that the information that came out yesterday is correct, apparently he has a posterior inferior label tear. It is really hard for an offensive lineman to play with a posterior label tear. An anterior label tear, often you play with. And there's probably a dozen around, examples around the league with anterior label tears where you play with, you brace it up and you can play. Posteriorly, how do you punch out? I mean, the, the forces there, as you lock out and try to hold the guy off, really stress you posteriorly and it's hard to brace it. So if it really is posterior inferior, which is what it seems to be, I don't think he legitimately, I don't think he can play through that. That's really interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of talk going on there. Uh, Drew Brees, uh, I believe you said he's playing this weekend. Um, how healthy can his thumb be, and how would that affect his throwing motion? Well, I mean, it's Drew Brees, and, and he's always playing, right? And like a lot of players, I'm sure like yourself, you're always counting on playing whenever you could. How effective can he be? I said from the get-go that when this happened, gee, ulna collateral surgery, six weeks is was the timeline and i believe he can and will be ready to play now technically it's about five and a half because he didn't have surgery immediately after the game so i think he could be ready to go the question is this number one when defensive linemen or linebackers come and karate chop at his hand not bounty gate i'm trying to hurt his thumb but like for ball security right i mean that's kind of what you're taught to do swipe at the ball right what will that do to his thumb? I'm confident he can play quarterback and throw. He can do seven on seven and do great. But can he really take that swipe that inadvertently it may hit his thumb and will it set him back? That is one major factor. And it's one thing to be clear to throw and, and be in practice. It's another about the safety to play. And remember, Teddy Bridgewater also is 5-0. and The Saints are in a good position. Next week, is the buy? Are they better off waiting for him to come back after the buy? And return to play is always a decision between medical, the player, and the team. It sounds like medical is probably okay with it. The player is obviously okay with it. 
Will the team be okay with it? Of course they want Breeze back, but they're looking at the risk of setback if they bring him back one week earlier versus resting him two more weeks. Dr. David Chow, our guest here on Outkick the Coverage, another quarterback, Jacksonville, and Minshew has been another one of these backups that's come in, and they've been able to win games with him in. But what's realistic in terms of a timetable for Nick Foles potentially having a shot at least, whether or not they'd put him in immediately is, I guess, irrelevant to this. But in terms of just his health, how how long do you expect or what's reasonable to assume for Nick Foles right now? Well, as soon as he's eligible. Uh, he got injured week one, so he's got to sit out eight games. So uh, I'm not sure where the bye falls for Jacksonville off the top of my head. But as soon as he's eligible, that's when he's going to be ready to go, week 10. In some ways, I was a little surprised. I'm not second-guessing Jacksonville's decision. I think he could have come back before missing eight games. It's his non-throwing shoulder, and uh, I think he's going to be ready to go whenever uh, Jacksonville chooses to do so. Are you surprised at C.J. Mosley playing on Monday? I saw your kind of uh, during the game you were tweeting and you were updating on this. C.J. Mosley is one hell of a football player, but he didn't look like one hell of a football player on Monday night, and I don't think that's because he's forgotten how to play the game. Yeah, I mean, it surprised me. I have to admit, you know, you guys probably know at the website profootballdoc.com, I do this injury index. And after uh, a week one groin injury, and he was dominant week one, here we are, and you know, uh, all almost halfway into the season, I was like, okay, I think his groin's probably going to be fine. It's good to hear that he's back. He's going to be a difference maker. But that's kind of why I watched him, and he did not look himself at all. A shadow at best. The one play I put on Twitter with him limping, jogging, hard to cut, you know, that wasn't the only play. I could have put together a dozen of those. I was surprised he lasted the whole half. I mean, I get it. He was cleared to play, but I'm surprised he didn't tap out or someone, his his position coach didn't say, or medical didn't say, hey, we're better off just continuing to uh, rest you here. And what's concerning is he says he can't do much of anything right now without it hurting. And the coach says this could bother him all season long. So one has to worry, is this really just a growing muscle injury, which should have gotten better across six weeks? Or is this one of those core muscle injuries and is the potential of surgery on the table for him? 21st of October, Zion Williamson. Torn meniscus in his right knee, out six to eight weeks. I know you're pro football, Doc, but you look at all sports injuries across the board. Zion Williamson is playing, or, or at least right now, he's about 285 pounds. And this isn't a he's too fat conversation, but at that mass, his game and how explosive he is, the way he lands, all of those things. How concerned should you be if you're somebody inside the NBA that's looking at Zion as the potential future of your league as it relates to the way in which he plays and how big he is costing him a chance to to really be out there the way he could be? Well, you know, I actually did write an article on this. You can see it on the Twitter timeline or Google it. But And so I did depart. There's a couple things about that. First of all, he is the third heaviest player in the league and the other two are seven four and seven five and he's six six no question he's really powerful and that's what makes him great but here's the deal for every pound of weight that you carry that translates to at least 10 pounds of force so do the multiplication there that's a lot of force across his knees as he's explosive landing and otherwise 
Do I think he's going to come back from this meniscus tear? Absolutely. And I think he's going to be fine. The question mark is, what does this mean to him long term? Here are the things that I'm worried about. He's big. He's explosive. He puts a lot of force on his knees. He tore his meniscus, and it's reported to be his lateral meniscus on the outside. Those do take a little longer to recover. Those are more prone to arthritis in the long term. In addition, if you look at him, he's a little bit knock-kneed, which we call valgus, which by definition, by anatomy, puts more stress on the outside lateral side of his knee. So in terms of the NBA, he's going to be great marketing and whatever, but he's not going to have this 18-year LeBron James career, I fear. So uh, let's enjoy him, and he's going to be great for multiple years, I believe, but he's not going to be a uh, someone who plays like LeBron forever and ever. That's Dr. David Chow. By the way, you can follow him on Twitter at ProFootballDoc. When we come back, a little bit more on Zion and that crazy stat that he dropped about how heavy he actually is and recipe for the Titans to get the job done on Sunday against the Bucks. Stick with us. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. Now football season. The matchups are set. The players are ready. Are you? The most comprehensive coverage of high school football in the Mid-State starts now. It's the High School Football Hour with your host, Chad Withrow. It is week 10 across the Mid-State in high school football. I am Chad Withrow, your host, until 11 p.m. tonight. This is the High School Football Hour on 104.5 The Zone. As our high school football coverage continues, this is my 14th year hosting high school football coverage here on 104.5 The Zone. It keeps getting more and more fun. And thanks to everyone out there who's tuned in tonight, ready to get going in a big week across the Mid-State with high school football. We begin every week by letting you know some of the best performances from the prior week. So as we look ahead to Week 10 action tonight, and we're going to take you to some live action across the Mid-State a little bit later, we first look back at some of the best performances from Week 9 in high school football. We begin with the Davidson County Player of the Week finalist at TNHighSchoolFootball.com. Jalen Marsh from Nashville Christian, the wide receiver, with four catches for 113 yards, a touchdown, and a 57-7 win over Jackson Christian. Xavier Clemens, the Cane Ridge quarterback, 14 for 22, 213 yards, two touchdowns, and a big 42-13 win over Hillsboro. James Moore from Stratford, the running back, Listen to this stat line, and I thought it was a misprint the first time I saw it. 56 carries, 56 carries in one game for James Moore, 239 yards, two touchdowns in a 14-7 win over East Nashville. And finally, for Davidson County Player of the Week finalist for Week 9, DeMarquez Johnson from Hunters Lane, the running back at 17 carries for 243 yards and five touchdowns in a 53-8 win over Glencliff. Next, we move to Rutherford County, Rutherford County, Player of the Week finalists for Week 9 include Tucker Sears from Siegel, the quarterback, 30 for 43, 335 yards, three touchdowns in a 35-28 loss to Cookville. Kamari McGowan, the Middle Tennessee Christian running back, 17 carries, 442 yards, seven touchdowns in a 60-22 win over Grace Christian out of Franklin. Tim Pinnell from Oakland, the running back, 11 carries, 96 yards, two touchdowns in a 31-14 win over Riverdale. And finally, Drew Beam from Blackman. The quarterback was 10 for 12, 
210 yards, three touchdowns, and a 48-13 win over Rockville. Next, we go to Williamson County. Williamson County Player of the Week in all Williamson County coverage brought to you by Brentwood Hearing Center. Start your path to better hearing at Brentwood Hearing Center. For over 30 years, they've been diagnosing and treating hearing problems and providing hearing aids and other assistive listening devices for better hearing and a better life. Schedule an appointment at BrentwoodHearingCenter.com or give them a call. 615-377-0420. Williamson County Player of the Week finalist for Week 9 include Ethan Cash, the Independence quarterback, was 17 for 29, 228 yards, and four touchdowns in a 41 to nothing win over Dixon County. Kay Granzow, Brentwood quarterback, 19 for 24, 258 yards, two touchdowns. Also had 10 carries for 43 yards and two more touchdowns in a 33-7 win over rival Franklin. Chase Bishop, son of former Titans great Blaine Bishop, the Independence wide receiver with six catches for 118 yards, two touchdowns, and a 41 to nothing win over Dixon County. And finally in Williamson County, Andrew Mason, the Ravenwood wide receiver, had three receptions for 108 yards and two touchdowns in a 38 nothing win over Smyrna. Those are your Williamson County Player of the Week finalists. We go next to Sumner County. All Sumner County coverage brought to you by the Coleman Group at Parks, your hometown real estate experts. Andrew, Caitlin, and Jane are lifelong Middle Tennessee residents to bring a wealth of knowledge to you as a buyer or seller of your home. Whether you're searching for your first home, forever home, or looking to find that perfect investment property, contact the Coleman Group online at thecolemangroup.net today. Someone familiar with this list of Sumner County Player of the Week finalists is Spencer Briggs from Gallatin. He's back on it this week. The running back had 26 carries, 192 yards, and two touchdowns in a 27-8 win over Hendersonville. Sawyer Watts from Pope John Paul II, quarterback, 21 for 33, 207 yards, two touchdowns in a 36-33 loss to MUS. Jacob Land from Pope John Paul, 25 carries, 132 yards, and a touchdown in that 36-33 loss to MUS. And finally, Adrian Johnson from Beach, the running back, had five carries for 58 yards, 30, also added a 33-yard reception in a 55-7 win over Station Camp. Next, as we move along, we go to Wilson County. Wilson County Player of the Week finalist for Week 9. All Wilson County coverage brought to you by Two Rivers Ford in Mount Juliet, a proud supporter of high school football. Visit the online Ford Superstore at tworiversford.com or call them now at 800-900-1000. John Barker's Two Rivers Ford is home of the non-commissioned salesperson for a no-pressure buying experience. Get started at tworiversford.com. We go to Wilson County Player of the Week finalist. Conlon Baggett from Mount Juliet, the running back, 16 carries, 138 yards, and a touchdown in a 41-34 loss to Oak Ridge. Justin Seagraves from Friendship Christian, the running back, had six carries, 128 yards, three touchdowns. He was 4-for-4 four four for 148 yards and a touchdown through the air in a 58-8 win over Mount Juliet Christian Academy. Doremus Carey from Watertown, running back. He's been on this list a lot. 166 all-purpose yards, three touchdowns, and a 42-8 win over Jackson County. And finally, DeQuante Shannon, the Lebanon running back, 27 carries, 116 yards, and a touchdown in a 17-7 loss to Stewart's Creek. Moving along, we go next to Robertson County. Robertson County Player of the Week and all Robertson County coverage brought to you by Dairy Queen, a proud supporter of TNHighSchoolFootball.com. Go to 14foods.com slash TNFootball. Get coupons for your choice of a 99-cent blizzard, dollar off a four-piece chicken strip basket, or $3 off any DQ cake. Restrictions apply. See 14foods.com slash TNFootball for complete details and to find the Dairy Queen location nearest you. Robertson County Player of the Week finalist for Week 9 include Cavantes Hudson, 
the running back from Springfield, 30 carries, 277 yards, three touchdowns, and a 27-12 win over Portland. Mason Lackey, the East Robertson linebacker, he blocked the punt, returned it for 30 yards and a touchdown, and a 27-6 win over Westmoreland. Jaden Crouch from East Robertson, running back, 20 carries, 94 yards, a touchdown, and a 27-6 win over Westmoreland. And finally, Cavante White, Springfield, running back, 15 carries, 57 yards, and a touchdown, and a 27-12 win over Portland. Those are your Player of the Week finalists from across the mid-state. For Week 9, we'll continue dissecting what happened in Week 9. Also, look ahead to tonight's Week 10 action. When we return, Donovan Stewart, head writer at TNHighSchoolFootball.com, will join the show. You're listening to the High School Football Hour as part of our High School Football Coverage Weekly right here on 104.5 The Zone. Indeed.